You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning. I was saying about uh, following up after wonderful worship like that, right? See if you can finish the sentence. That doesn't light your fire. Your wood's wet. <laughs> what a wonderful time we've had in the Lord's presence. Thankful. Well, there's a theologian that we have uh, really taken to. Uh, much of our tribe has. His name is N.T. Wright. He says this. We are to be God to the world. And we cannot do that alone. The church is God's redemptive community in the world. Without you, and without you joined with God's other children, God's work will not be done. He will not do it without us. He will not do it for us. You know what God wants to do in our lives is far more wonderful than any of us could think. Some people think that all God wants to do is forgive us of our sins. I, <laughs> I call it bingo card uh, spirituality. We get our card punched. We're going to heaven and that's all there is to it. Now, I want to be careful and say that the forgiveness of sins is central. It's a big part to why Jesus came. It's important, but it's only the beginning, the beginning of what he wants to do. Some people want the forgiveness of God without, without the relationship that would follow. And this is tragic beyond words. It's a, it, it's a, it's a life lived without the opportunity to experience life at its fullest. Our relationship with God is about so much more than just being forgiven. It's about having his spirit living within us. It's about knowing him and his will intimately. It's growing in our relationship with him and being transformed into his likeness. It is our transformation that he's after. He wants us to be transformed into his likeness. Look at this scripture. And, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. You may notice that we pray around here and you hear this phrase over and over again that we would be transformed into increasing likeness of our Savior Jesus one of the uh, seminal scriptures for us and many in our tribe is, is this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We can never forget this. You and I are not saved because of our savability or our winsomeness to him. We are saved only because of his great decided love. The verse that follows the verse we just read is, is equally important. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, 
the translation of this phrase is, is a little awkward. The, the word there we translated handiwork in the original language is a word poema. It's the word we get our word poem from. I, I like how that reads. For we are God's poem. A one of a kind individual communication. We are God's poem. And he has created us. Not only to save us, but to invite us to join him in his work. He's after our transformation so that we can join him in transforming the world. After all, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven. In other words, it's, it's saying, would what goes on there happen down here? And he wants us to have a part of that, a piece of that. Now, with that brief introduction, I want us to turn to the text for today, our scripture for today. Jesus arrives in Nazareth. And on the Sabbath, he's, he's in the synagogue. And the people there hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling it, he, founds, he, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone on this, in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Of course, these words are found in Isaiah, the 61st chapter. And they amount to what I believe to be the mission of Jesus. I, I, I read him saying, this is why I have come. This is what I'm about. So I want us to look at it one little phrase at a time. He begins, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news. It's good news. He, he is for us and not against us. He, he wants to forgive us. He, he wants us to know him. Most of you in this room have heard and have responded to such love. And you've received the good news. And for those who have not, I pray you will soon. Maybe today. It's interesting that he targets the proclamation of the good news to the poor. Um, the word he uses here for poor um, is kind of a general word. Uh, it's the same word we find in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, he's not just speaking of physical poverty. You can be a millionaire and be poor. You can have zero dollars and be rich. My wife, who reads constantly, and I love that about her, found a quote, she gave it to me this week, by a man named Jay Forbes, and it says this, nobody gets into heaven without a letter of reference from the poor. <laughs> That's good. You know, we as, um, as a faith community, Look to people like John Wesley uh, as, as one of the 
key leaders in our, in our faith. John Wesley lived in the 1700s. He was the founder of the Methodist movement. In 1729, he and his brother Charles were students at Oxford, and they started what they called the Holy Club. And in time, they began to minister to the two prisons there in Oxford. They began to minister at the workhouse and with poor families and and in a school for underprivileged children. And as he became a cleric and, and, and preached and, and grew, he, he developed into a very simple threefold idea. He said, number one, as it relates to the poor, meet the needs yourself. In other words, put some skin in the game. Do something yourself. Give something yourself. Number two, he said, solicit resources to help the poor. And three, he said, become an advocate for the poor. Now, obviously, he believed that the Christian life involved personal piety and devotion to Jesus Christ, but he also had this serious bent, I believe in obedience to scriptures like these, this serious bent to helping the poor. Um, John Wesley said to the Methodist, You know, we have one purpose, and that is to spread scriptural holiness, scriptural holiness throughout the land. And he also said, but there is no holiness without social holiness. In other words, he's saying, we can't be a holy people unless we socially get involved and help others. He's saying, our relationship with God is not a private affair. It's one that impacts the people around us in our community. Conservatively, very conservatively, 12.5 million children go hungry in America every day. And some of these children live within five miles of where we're sitting right now. Lima is really a town with two groups of children. One group is fairly well off. It's not without their problems, but no one is going to bed hungry. The other group involves children who are hungry. Children who move from a grandparent to an aunt's home, and then back to mom who's free from prison, but then back to foster care when she goes back, and on and on and on it goes. We have many, many like this. More than one-fifth of the students in the Lima school system do not complete the school year in the school that they began because they're transient, going from grandmas to aunts to this person to this person. One group, of ha- one group of children has, has parents who will sit down with them and help them with their homework. Another group of children has parents who are out at night looking for their next fix. One group of children is loved and cherished. Another group is tolerated, and that just barely. Within five miles of where you will lay your head to sleep tonight, there are hungry children. There are neglected children. There are children that will follow the pattern of the people that have led them unless 
someone steps in. They will become like their parents or like the people they're living with unless someone says, not on my watch. I want better. These aren't my kids, but this is my watch. Happily, Lima Community Church has a variety of, ministr- of ministries that, that help in this regard. Jesus continues, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. There's two elements here, freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight. Let's talk about freedom for prisoners. The greatest prison that all men face is the prison of sin. And we are to proclaim that there is an answer to this, that Jesus can forgive sin and set them free, that they can be reconnected to a loving heavenly father. Scripture says this, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which, by which we must be saved. In our tolerant society, a lie has cleverly been wedged. The enemy has sold the lie that there are many roads to God. Pick one. But if we understand what the New Testament is telling us, this is not the case. Jesus came with a mission to seek and to save those who were lost. And this has to be our mission as well, to share the love of Jesus, which alone can set them free. Jesus came not just to save souls, but to save the whole person. We endeavor to do the same. And then he says to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. You know, there's two types of blindness, right? The Bible talks about each of these types. There's a physical blindness, which we'll talk about in a moment, and there's a spiritual blindness. Jesus ministered to both groups. Jesus defined spiritual blindness. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Jesus courageously confronts spiritual blindness in his day. But in so doing, I, 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 I know he hopes that those who are spiritually blind would see the error of their ways and repent. And then we have many instances of Jesus healing physically blind people as well as deaf people and lame people and leprous people. Jesus healed a bunch. And he calls on us to do the same. We believe God still heals. And we continue to pray that people will be healed. We can pray for you at any time you want if you're going through a journey We can pray for you. There are people here we have prayed for and have gotten better. Does every person get healed? Sadly, no. But some do. And we continue to pray. 
One of the many passages that instructs us this way is James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. You might be thinking, I I can't do that. But you might be surprised. Jesus does not call the powerful. He empowers those he calls. Next little phrase he uses here in this passage is to set the oppressed free. This is the proclamation of forgiveness. In the original language, it can be translated to bring forgiveness to those who are broken and shattered. Just a little bit ago, we received the Lord's communion together. And I said, Jesus said, this is my blood shed for the remission of your sins. Our mission here is twofold. We proclaim forgiveness and we give it freely as well. Sometimes it's difficult to forgive. We we talked about this two weeks ago. And here's what we learned. If we're going to continue to grow as followers of Christ, we will continue to forgive those around us. Without taking revenge, without evening the score, we forgive. Paul Stevens' daughter was brutally murdered with a knife by a neighbor in Evansville, Indiana years ago. And Paul says he spent nearly a decade tortured by the memory of his daughter's killer. The memories proved to be so hard to bear that he moved his family to a different state just trying to escape the memories and the torment. After seven years behind bars, his daughter's murderer was released. Paul Stevens said, I hated my twisted psyche. At that time, I just wanted to see that man dead. But nine years after the murder, Paul Stevens tried something radical. At a religious retreat, he finally grasped that his hate would never restore his daughter. And he vowed he would overcome this tragedy with the help of God. And so he began to work with violent criminals. And since that time, Paul Stevens has worked two days each week as a counselor and a lay minister at a maximum security prison. He's come to call some of the 29 prisoners on death row some of his best friends. One of those prisoners said, I could never have come to Christ except through the witness of this man who had been through what he's been through and had such compassion. Paul Stevens says that treating violent criminals as human beings has helped him lose his hatred and given given him his life back. We forgive, we experience it, and we forgive others. He continues to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, there's many ways to uh, deal with this phrase. Some think that what Jesus is getting at here 
is, uh, is an allusion to the year of Jubilee. And that perhaps may be true. Perhaps it is rather a blanket statement saying today, now, right now is the time of the Lord's favor. And whether or not it has something to do with the year of Jubilee, I think it has something to do with this. We who live in a world who put many things off till tomorrow, who come close to a decision and then say, I'll do it tomorrow. He says, today, right now, don't put it off. Grasp it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian who was martyred uh, in the Second World War, I think he was hung something like six days before Hitler committed suicide, studied in New York City at a seminary um, before the war. And in his journal, you can find this. He chastises, he says, one may hear sermons in New York on almost any topic. Only one thing is never handled. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The cross, sin, and it's forgiveness. Right now, God says. Now. If you're here today and you've been putting this off. He says, now. Right now. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What follows there is a great unrest and they tried to kill him. And I don't have time to get into that. It's fascinating, but obviously they don't kill him. In Scotland, at a little restaurant more than 100 years ago, a dozen fishermen were drinking coffee after spending all night fishing. One of them, an animated storyteller, kind of like me, always using his hands, and a waitress was going by, and he did that, and he knocked a pot of coffee off her tray and against the wall, and it spilled all up and down this white wall. The owner of the cafe was one of the people there drinking coffee, and he said, well... Looks like that's a wall I'm going to have to paint all over again. When somebody stepped up and said, well, perhaps not. A stranger said, you know, perhaps not. He said, can I work with it? The owner said, well, i got nothing to lose. Sure, try your hand. And so this stranger pulled out some pencils and some brushes and some, some pigment out of an art box. And in time, as he worked on this wall, an image began to emerge of a deer with a great rack of antlers. And it was so realistic. And when he was done, he inscribed his name to the painting he had just done all around this coffee spill and left. His name was Sir Edwin Landseer, one of the most famous um, 
British uh, artist of, of landscape and animals, Trafalgar, Trafalgar <laughs> Square has two lions in it that he carved. The teller of this tale said this, in his hands, a mistake became a masterpiece. In his hands, a mistake became a masterpiece. I'm talking to some people here today who feel they've made one mistake after another. But in God's hands, your mistake can become a masterpiece. Here's a sample of some of the artwork by Landseer. He was just an just amazing, amazing artist. This is what God does with us. He takes our brokenness. He takes our humanity and our blind spots. He takes the mess we've made out of things. And he adds some color. And he adds some texture and he adds some beauty and he adds some definition. You and I are works of his in progress. But as we follow his lead, as we follow his lead, he makes something wonderful and beautiful out of our lives and out of the lives of those around us. I wonder if I could ask you to bow your heads. I wonder if you would just take a moment and pray about what you've heard this morning. Could be the Lord speaking to you, reminding you, convicting you, affirming you. Would you take a moment and pray? Some of your prayers will need to continue long after this service is over, but I'm going to ask you to stand now, if you would. And as I pronounce a benediction over you, if the Lord is speaking to you and you want to pray right now about anything you've heard, then I invite you in a moment to come forward. You can pray by yourself. You can pray with someone. Your choice. My Father in heaven, I thank you for these who love you, who are called, who are works in progress. Sometimes it gets really messy. Sometimes we don't know how it's going to sort out. But we know you do. And we trust you. I pray you would speak to anyone here if this is the moment that they are to respond that they would let nothing stop them. Dismiss us in your great love. May this week we do as we've just heard, proclaim good news to the poor. 
to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and recover your sight for the blind. Bless these ones, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.